Welcome to Feeding the Flock Season 9 and our expositions through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're currently at chapter 13 and verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 13 of the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, where Paul writes this. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, And though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because the power of God directed toward you. So we find here what Paul is in the middle of his epilogue, you might say, even though it's the beginning paragraph of a new chapter, in some ways he is continuing the same epilogue that he began in verse 19 of chapter 12. And we will refer back to that little paragraph here in a moment or two, but Paul describes his coming to them and perhaps finding in that congregation the sins that have plagued them all along and that have been perpetuated by these false apostles. They've been stirred up both socially and sensually, sexually. They have sinned. In fact, the sexual sins that he describes uh, at the very end of chapter 12, impurity, immorality, and sensuality, it seems to be that those are the root causes of all the social things that uh, he talked about earlier in verse 20. The strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances, and all of those problems going on in the congregation are likely rooted in impurity and immorality and sensuality. And so knowing that that might be the case in some regards, that last paragraph of chapter 12 and the first paragraph of chapter 13 sort of fit together as a part of this entire epilogue. Now the epilogue won't finish until verse 10, and uh, we'll get to that later in another episode. But Right now it says, this is the third time I am coming to you. And this is where Paul uh, is now talking about his own return to that congregation. And they want Christ to be mighty in him and uh, mighty in them. And Paul's, Paul pretty much responds by saying, okay, here we go. And uh, uh, he's already talked about the fact that he may have to face a certain level of 
personal humiliation as a minister, as a pastor, as a, as a shepherd or an evangelist, and especially as an apostle, to see this congregation infiltrated with false apostles and corrupted by wrong motives, wrong ideas, and sinful things that have not been repented of and not been uh, brought clean. And uh, so that's why he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Why? Because he's already been there the first time during his, uh, his mission tour. His, his second mission tour is where he ended up uh, in uh, Macedonia and Achaia and ended up in, uh, in Corinth. And uh, Jesus, in fact, told him to stick around in Corinth and not to leave so soon. And he stayed for another year and a half there, according to Acts chapter 18. Then we find earlier in this same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul seems to uh, uh, refer to another very quick visit, and it's called a sorrowful visit because it was very, very painful for him and for them that he was only there for a certain task of confronting these things and then leaving. He couldn't stay very long. And so now that's what he's referring to. If he comes back to them, this will be the third time. And he quotes from an Old Testament principle from Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. Uh, And this legal terminology here that every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, Paul may be referring to the fact that if he comes back, this will be the third time that he himself will be that witness. So in some regards, his three visits will be those three witnesses, even though it's the same witness. He's done it three different times. And maybe that's what he's referring to. Otherwise, he might be referring to uh, to uh, the other believers, such as Titus and the two brethren that he'd sent with them. And uh, he refers to them in chapter 8 of this book, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, he refers to Titus. Verse 18, he, re- he refers to the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And then in verse 22, he refers to evidently somebody else that says, we have sent with them, our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. And so there were at least three of them. And perhaps even uh, Timothy could give witness if he was there at the same time. So uh, whether or not Paul is referring to three visits and those three visits uh, uh, qualify for the three witness uh, category, or whether he's referring to these other brethren that that he has sent to them, and they themselves may be those three witnesses. We're not exactly clear, but it seems to fit uh, either way. It says in verse 2 of uh, chapter 13, I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well. This is Paul getting to business, you might say, getting to business in the hard things that he'd rather not uh, um, be there and he'd rather not conduct himself this way, but they are forcing his hand, so to speak. And uh, he says then, that uh, um, 
He was previously there the second time, and he wants to give them advance notice. This is written notice now. This is not an eviction notice. This is a disciplinary action notice. And he's saying, for those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well. So he knows that there are those that have been corrupting the body, and yet in the same way, the congregation itself has already tolerated certain corruption, certain sins, certain things that shouldn't be there. And maybe it's a part of the sensuality that causes them to be weak toward, the, or at least susceptible, I'll put it that way, susceptible to these false apostles, uh, rather than to, to the apostle Paul, who led them to Christ, who planted this church. And so, Paul is basically saying, if you have sinned and you've not repented and I come again, he says, he says uh, to all the rest, if I come again, I will not spare anyone. You see, he hinted at this in chapter 4, verse 21. He says, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? So the the New Testament actually has already prescribed certain elements of disciplinary action. Now, it doesn't involve physical discipline, as the rod here might imply, but rather Jesus himself laid it out of what that discipline might be. And it could uh, it could be brought before the congregation, and two or three witnesses could give testimony, and as a result, then they could be put out of the congregation. That's part of what Jesus himself uh, laid out, uh, even while he was here on earth, as a part of the discipline of the body, or the discipline of the people in the body, the local congregation. And Paul says, I won't spare anyone. Why? Because you've continued to tolerate this sensuality, this sexuality in your congregation. And uh, and he goes on to say he won't spare anyone. And, and he said earlier, chapter 5 and verse 5, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, if I didn't make that clear. And again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. And he's talking about those who abused the Lord's Supper in a disrespectful way, uh, disrespecting Jesus, disrespecting the fellow believers in Christ as they gathered together to remember him, and they've disrespected those elements. And in that way, there was some sort of physical discipline exercised by God himself. Uh, Paul didn't do it. It was something that, that the Spirit of God did in the physical physical health of uh, the believers who were violating this, this respect toward the Lord's Supper. And um, uh, the uh, chapter 5, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians is Paul exercising discipline over the one uh, person who was, who was in gross sin, the kind of sin that wasn't even uh, uh, tolerated in secular Roman uh, culture or Greek culture. That it was so horrendous. And Paul says, I'm, I'm going to deliver him to, the, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice that even the most extreme discipline has to do with setting a person outside the fellowship of 
the uh, local congregation. And that does not include torture or it, it doesn't include jail time. It doesn't include capital uh, 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 capital punishment. Uh, none of those things are the tools of the church. It might be tools of the government, but it's not tools of the local church. The only thing and the most extreme thing that we can do is set a person outside the congregation. And in fact, in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul refers to a couple of other uh, guys there by name, by the way. He says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Notice that this, is, this discipline isn't a, a condemnation discipline. This is a, a, a restoration discipline. Even this most extreme, it's intended to bring people to repentance and back into fellowship, not to completely reject them altogether, but rather to to uh, set them outside the body of uh, of the congregation that is and and uh, then once they repent they are to be restored and that's the real goal uh, it's not to just leave them out there so to speak it's to have repentance and restoration in the congregation he says and he says earlier, he says he includes anyone. Uh, I will not spare anyone. And this, of course, is added in our own translation. But he's talking about uh, these false apostles. I believe he'll he'll call them out as well because they need to be called out by name. And he's not afraid to call these false apostles out and call them out by name. Well, we'll be back right after this musical break. Welcome back after that uh, short interlude. We are now in verse 3 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. Paul continues on with his sentence, and he says, Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, Paul basically is saying, all right, you guys have put this on yourself. Uh, you have bought into this lie, this rumor, this gossip by these false apostles that somehow say, well, he he talks strong, but he once he gets here, he's he's kind of a weak guy and and uh, he's not even very interesting to listen to. And uh, he'll soften up once he once he gets here here in person. Well, Paul is basically saying you want you want the tough Paul? You want the one with strength? You want the one with the might of Christ in him? Then you will see that. And uh, Paul basically basically is saying, you want my authority to be shown? 
I will show my authority in Christ. And that's exactly what he's saying. You want proof of Christ who is speaking in me? Then I'll give you proof when I show up. And uh, uh, basically, he's he's kind of saying you won't like it much, but uh, it's coming if, uh, if I come and I find sin still in your congregation. Now, this idea of discipline. I want you to know that sometimes we've we've gotten uh, kind of enamored with this uh, uh, this almost this weak kind of Christianity that that doesn't involve discipline. And yet there's a whole passage committed to understanding that the Father isn't done with us. He wants us to grow. And to grow doesn't mean he's punishing us for the stuff we've done wrong, but he disciplines us for a higher level of obedience and a higher level of maturity sometimes. It's not that he's... he's uh, uh, punishing us for for uh, sin necessarily because Jesus took the punishment but the sin that weakens us is something that needs to be confessed and it needs to be brought out and it needs to be overcome and so Paul basically is saying that sometimes God allows discipline in order not to uh, punish us but 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 rather to bring us to a, a greater maturity. Sometimes there's nothing wrong. Sometimes there's no sin in our life that needs to be confessed. Paul, uh, that is, God just wants to take us further. And to do that, it sometimes take uh, takes this discipline. And uh, he, he goes through, uh, that is, the author of Hebrews, chapter 12, goes through a quite a lengthy uh, explanation of why this is the case, that we serve a father who's perfectly willing to discipline us toward a goal. And he says, and you have forgotten, this is chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 5, it says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves." he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there is the explanation of why God himself sometimes exercises this disciplinary role. Sometimes it is to get rid of sin. Other times it's just to uh, train us for a new level of righteousness, a new level of walking with Christ. And uh, so Paul says, the Christ who is who speaks in me, you want proof of that, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, you're going to see how mighty 
Christ can be in you if you respond to this discipline by the Lord. And says in verse 4, For indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. So Paul basically is giving a precedent here. The precedent is God uses weakness in order to bring out his power. He doesn't always use his power to just overcome injustice. We would like him to do so, but in Jesus's case, he gave himself over to the Roman authorities, to the Roman soldiers, to the the uh, the nails on the cross, to the to the uh, to the scourging and to the whip, to uh, to the crown of thorns. He gave himself over to death itself and death on a cross, the most humiliating type of execution that a culture has perhaps ever devised and most excruciating and painful, by the way. And it's it was designed originally, I think, by the Persians and then the Romans took it over and uh, made it uh, more brutal than ever. Ever, but uh, it's the same kind of thing. And and Jesus, when he was crucified, this was a humiliating thing. This wasn't a, 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 a was not at the time a, a place of glory. You see, we 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 like to make. Uh, uh, jewelry out of crosses and earrings with crosses dangling from them or, or necklaces or, or any number of things. And that though, that's okay, I guess, because it testifies to the fact that we, we serve a Savior who died on a cross. But in other ways, you see, that was a place of execution and not just a place of execution. It was the place where the most vilest criminals, the most lowest of low, uh, the scumbags of the earth, you might say, that's the way they treated them for capital crimes and capital punishment was through this tool called a cross. And so Jesus sur- surrendered himself to that uh, His victory and his power was not displayed on the cross. His humility was, his obedience was, his his humiliation, his pain, his agony, that was displayed on the cross. But the power was displayed later. It was displayed after he was laying in a tomb. Then he was resurrected from the grave. That demonstrated that he he had the power over death itself, even the most excruciating death, even death that that, uh, while he was in the tomb without any medical uh, assistance or anything else, that he was dead, he was truly dead, and then he came to life and he was truly alive in a, in a new, fresh body that, that was resurrected from the grave, and that's where he is currently. He's seated in heavenly places in that same resurrected body. He was witnessed uh, by, by eyewitnesses, that is, uh, to give testimony that he had raised from the dead. That was the power of God in him. But he had to go through the weakness in order to uh, to see the power displayed in his own resurrected body, you see. And so he says, and so then Paul says, that's 
That's what we are. That's how we do ministry. That's what ministry means in many regards, reflecting this same pattern or this same precedent. And that is, for we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. So he lives He lives because of the power of God. Now we live because of the power of God. And God's words live in us because of the power of God. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is basically, again, giving his authority as an apostle. I stand before you or I write this to you. I will will show up to you the third time. I will give testimony to any sin that I I see that you have continued to reject my words of exhortation and it will be time for discipline. And I'm going to have to do that when I come to you and you will see might in me. You will see the strength of Christ in me. You will see the authority in me because Christ is in me, but Christ got that power by going through weakness. And you've seen me. You've seen me in weakness because I am a nobody. I am. I do not deserve this apostleship, and yet I am here. And he's basically saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't brag about my preaching skills or my ability in the pulpit, but I preach the power of the word and the power of the gospel. That's what Paul says, out of this weakness. He's already referred to his own weakness in the sense of the the thorn in the flesh. So that he couldn't really brag about anything he heard or anything he saw, excuse me, when he went into heaven, the third heaven, he calls it, or paradise. He couldn't say anything about it, except he just said he did it. The only revelation that he got from God that day was the fact that God revealed to him that the thorn in the flesh was given to him to keep him humble. That was it. Power is perfected in weakness. That was the revelation that God did give him. And that's what he passes on now. So now he says, I have been with you in weakness, but I will demonstrate the power of God, the authority of God, the authority of Christ when I return to you. And if I discover the things are still corrupting in you and things are still not taken care of through confession and through restoration and through discipline. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Earlier in this book, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life So Paul knew what it was like to live the Christian life in weakness, not in power, not in grand uh, displays of of uh, of regal uh, uh, respect or celebrity uh, worship or anything like that. He he knew what it was like to do ministry in a humble way. Why? So that the gospel could still be preached. And Paul knew that according to Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
The power of Christ is in the word of the gospel, that he died for our sins and that he rose again. And Paul says, basically, uh, we have been weak in him, yet we will live with him because the power of God directed toward you. That's the power of God's word to change us, to mature us, to make us like Jesus, to make us walk with him, to get rid of all the dross, all, all the corruption, all the other things that come from the, the world and our flesh, that we can become mature in Christ. And that's Paul's goal for the Corinthians, and that's God's goal for us as well. Thank you, Father, for these words. Thank you for your word in this particular passage in 2 Corinthians. Thank you for inspiring these words on and through the Apostle Paul for that congregation because sometimes we see our own congregations in these words. So I pray that it would be with power, with authority, that it would touch the lives of people so that people can repent of their sin, come to Jesus who died on the cross, and then come to him who also raised from the dead that we could have power over sin and power to live eternal life in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again next time for Feeding the Flock.